pressure. They're going to sanitize schools on a daily basis. G2, we just have 10 seconds. Uh, Betsy DeVos and President Trump's threat to defund schools that won't reopen. Well, I, I, I think they're doing what, you know, is within their value system. They, they're doing, I, I think Donald Trump is all about re-election. They don't, they don't want to leave office. And I think it's really important to note that what Betsy DeVos is doing is what she's been trained to do. What would we expect differently from her? So the, the, the important piece, I think, Amy, is that Five seconds. Uh, we're, we're saying our communities must organize to get to make sure that these demands are met. And so on August 3rd, there will be a National Day of Action. A national we'll have day to leave it resistance. there. Gigi Brown, Jesse Hagopian. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining. KPOO Portland. This is indeed KPOO Portland. That's KBOO Portland. It's 8 a.m. and time for the Abe and Joe Talk Radio Show with your hosts, Abe and Joe. So stay tuned to your community connection. morning so uh, you went down there yeah i went down there last night um it's the first time i had been down um it was time i couldn't stay away anymore um what i saw was um nothing like i think the image that portland is uh, receiving or the image portrayed to portland in national media particularly in conservative media uh, it was not a blasted out war zone down there. Uh, things had not descended into anarchy and chaos. Um, you know, things looked, <laughs> for the most part, normal and significantly not normal. And what I mean by that is, uh, I don't know if anybody has been to that part of downtown uh, around the courthouse um, recently, but many of the storefronts have been boarded up um, for various reasons, COVID-19 and the protests, I think, being the two reasons. But the, the boarded-up storefronts are covered with the most incredible array of art. It's just, it's it's incredible and it's surreal and uh, it was moving and thrilling. And uh, everybody, you know, if you have a chance just even to swing through there uh, by the light of day, I really, I really encourage that. Yeah, I was down there... Uh for a so-called press conference, and I was really impressed by the art. It was beautiful, all different kinds. Yeah, beautiful, all different kinds, and, and some of it, you know, kind of sloppy uh, graffiti covered. But many of the works were very thoughtful and beautiful. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, so I went down there uh, earlier in the evening, um, kind of cased the area, then went down to the waterfront where the moms were gathering. Uh, these were the moms who swiftly rose to national fame by forming a human barricade uh, between the feds and the protesters a couple of nights ago. Uh, so the moms rallied down by the Salmon Street Fountain, and um, I was really very impressed. Uh, they were giving very sound advice, very sound tactical advice about what to do if they encountered um, uh, violent resistance or tear gas or, or um impact munitions from uh, from the feds. There were people distributing spare pieces of body armor in case people wanted it. Uh, they were encouraging helmets and all kinds of other sensible things. 
things you might wish in a perfect world you didn't need at a peaceful protest, but here we are. And then they made their way, the moms did, up the hill to the um, to the courthouse where they were greeted by the core of protesters that has been there night after night. And there was a pretty rapturous uh, union there that happened. Um, then there were some, uh, some pretty inspiring young people speaking to the crowd uh, for a time. And then um, the bulk of the moms group left to look at some of the murals that I just started talking about. Then they returned to the scene uh, and things remained more or less peaceful uh, until shortly after I left. And that's when the fun started. What do you mean by fun? <laughs> I, I'm putting fun in air quotes, which always makes for great radio. There was, right at the time I was leaving, there was, there's an overhang at the, uh, the, on the western side of the courthouse, which is where you've seen a lot of the particularly disturbing imagery uh, in recent days. It was from that area that the federal agent shot that young protester in the head with an impact munition last week. Um, so there were a number of protesters under that overhang area there trying to force open the, um, the wooden panels that had been put over the doors and windows. Um, not a tactic I would have chosen uh, to undertake, but you know that's not me. And I'm really finding it harder and harder to judge the means by which people protest. I think in the end, the fact that they're out there is the most important uh, factor. And I want to circle back to that notion here in a little while. But anyway, people tried to pull these wooden panels off. Somebody managed to get um, a small panel from above a door pulled off. And um, this was literally minutes after I left. Then apparently a federal officer threw a canister of tear gas out of that hole and into the crowd of protesters milling about outside. And then after some more time had gone by, then they deployed themselves and came out after the protesters. And again, I mentioned this is after I left the scene. All of this that I'm talking about now, I've gotten from the wonderful reporting uh, from the many journalists on the ground uh, there, most notably Sergio Olmos. He's at, at Mr. Olmos on Twitter and Tuck Woodstock uh, also on Twitter. Um, people are doing fantastic and patriotic work, and I really encourage people to um, to take a look. Most of them refer to each other's work as they tweet about what's going on, so really gives you a good chance to see what's happening from a number of perspectives. So all of this happened after I left. The, uh, the federal agents came out and, and deployed themselves against protesters who resisted. They appear to be getting a lot smarter. People, uh, you can see on video, had gas-powered leaf blowers that they were whipping out to disperse tear gas as it was deployed. Really? And at one, yes. And at one point, a group of protesters formed a shield wall, kind of like something out of ancient Greek warfare, uh, a shield wall of umbrellas, which afforded them some protection against, um, you know, the, the pepper balls and the lighter great impact munitions that the That's the Hong Kong technique. That's the Hong Kong technique. Yeah, but what, I, what I saw was a group of people who had been at this for a while and have figured some things out. Uh, and they're still managing to make it accessible to people who aren't willing to, you know, to mix it up with the feds, but simply want to go down there and demonstrate. They have a a, a robust food and water operation for people, all of it with donated supplies. Uh, they're giving away protective gear, both uh, personal protective medical equipment for uh, protect against COVID-19 and also, uh, you know, armor to strap on to protect yourself from uh, federal agents. Uh, so they're, they're running what I think is a pretty good operation down there. And at one point, they projected onto the wall of the Justice Center a number of phrases like, uh, uh, fed goons out of PDX and power to the people. It was some pretty good protest theater down there. But inevitably, things degenerated into this violent uh, conflict once again, which I suspect, and I, want, I would love to hear from some people who's, who stuck it out there last night, which I suspect is what a, what a contingent of both sides are there for. I was not there for the violent conflict, but I looking around, there are a number of people who were uh, and they were geared up for it. And uh, that's what I saw last night downtown. Wow. I, I, first of all, I want to praise you for doing that. I'm. Uh, don't, don't praise me. I just I'm, went down I'm to too, something that's been going chicken. on without me. What's that? <laughs> I'm too old and too chicken. No, well, I, had my, I had my reasons for staying away up till now, but I felt it was time. It, once, yeah. once people are being nabbed off the street 
by unidentified officers and placed into unmarked rented vehicles and taken away, that's time for everybody to come out. Well, I agree, and I, I think that, that I have to say that I think that this is a time, if there ever was a time, for truly mass demonstrations, uh, nonviolent, clearly purposeful, and clearly large. This is something so un-American, so intolerable, uh, so fascist, that we all, whether our politics are left, right, center, whatever, need to oppose it, because it's not American. This is true un-American behavior on the part of these mysterious agents out of the, the largely the Border Patrol and other agencies like that, directed by the fascist Donald Trump. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, and really we hear, we hear a lot about the damage being done to property and the vandalism and the graffiti and so on and so forth. And uh, that's expected, I think, amongst a certain circle of lefties, give us pause and, and lead us to reflect upon our tactics and, and maybe tisk tisk a little bit about the young kids who are out there spray painting and whatever they're doing. You know, in the end, these so-called high crimes and massive anarchy that are going on in Portland amounts to vandalism at worst. Really, that, I, I didn't see anything yesterday that would justify any of the hand-wringing and pearl-clutching that's been coming out of the right-wing media. It's just not happening. Well, And really, you know, if the price we have to pay is some graffiti and some minor damage to some uh, structures, if that's the price we have to pay for systemic change, then we got off easy. Well, I agree. And, and you know, this so-called attack on the police union headquarters, uh, somebody, and maybe it was you, t told me that it was the so-called fire was a very small thing. Uh, yes. The window that was broken was just one window. That the whole thing was exaggerated uh, by the right-wing press to the extent that you would have thought a mob took over the uh, headquarters of the Police Benevolent Association. That was not so. No, it was not so at all. Uh, the Oregonian has video of the interior of the, of the police union headquarters. Um, Again, this is the part that's supposed to give uh, right-minded lefties pause, right? Oh, oh, no, they shouldn't be breaking into the police bureau. Well, maybe not, but really. All they're going to have to do is replace the front door and uh, part of a desktop file organizer that was damaged. That's what I could see in the video. Wow. Well, I, I, there's a number of things. This is a, this is a serious, serious situation. It is very sad that businesses, particularly independent businesses in downtown and elsewhere, are being hurt very badly. Uh, but, you know, business as usual cannot take place when you have fascist uh, government agents, unidentified, uh, in camouflage with weapons, running amok among civilians. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. What are you supposed to do? Because our society has made clear that the minor destruction of property is, is an inappropriate cost, an inappropriate price to pay for the systemic infliction of violence upon black and brown bodies. Right, then we can't do that. That's unacceptable. But, uh, you know, apparently the reverse is just fine. It's just fine to inflict a systemic state violence upon black and brown bodies. Uh, it's just, it's just a, an un, unbalanced equation from the get-go. And, um, you know, frankly, I'm done wringing my hands about some uh, graffiti and about some minor vandalism. Yeah, me too. I mean, th this is a very challenging situation, and a radical action. Uh, I, I always advocate nonviolence, both tactically and morally, but radical action is necessary. Uh, and I want to tell people, if you want to disagree or agree or, or give us information because you were there more than I or, or uh, Abe, uh, call us at 231-8187. Because we do want to hear from people, and we do want to know what's going on. And, and, and you have a caller. Oh, 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 good. Uh, uh, David, you're on the line. Yeah, morning. I'm, I'm down in San Francisco, so I'm not a percipient witness. But you know what I crossed my mind about this is if uh, we could drop a dime on the secret police, if you're familiar with that expression. So let's say, for example, an, uh, an Oliver North group convinced uh, uh, a, a wing of certain agencies to do this that would be illegal and uh, but if people think that Oliver North was really an honorable patriot uh, then they might still listen to the orders 
But if somebody were to call up Homeland, in fact, if the city, if the state, if the county were to demand that Homeland Security investigate itself or investigate who these guys are, who's, who's paying them, so force Homeland Security, you know, with some sort of a legal request to find out who these guys are, what budget. And if it turns out that budget is uh, not a valid budget, then is this a coup attempt? And will these mercenaries get paid? So there is a sort of an odd market forces way of screwing with these guys and getting our government back. Because it forces Homeland Security to either fess up to what this is all about, or they have to internally decide which side they're on. So I, you know, to me, it's kind of a, you know, we the people own this government, and they're abusing our tax dollars by sending out people who are, you know, uh, trying to crush uh, people petitioning for right of redress of grievances. And uh, so it gets our government back, and it forces uh, the internal uh, layers of Homeland Security to pick which side they're going to be on. Well, I think I think you're making a very valid point. I am not giving up on the idea that, that these are conscious uh, soldiers of America uh, with whom I would have uh, intellectual disagreement uh, and, and moral disagreement, but who have, have a mind. And you would think that they would start to think, what am I doing, uh, whacking uh, 18-year-olds? And, well, by the way, whacking a 54-year-old graduate of Annapolis uh, who was a CB, uh, a big man, a hero, who stood up, asked, what are you doing, and got, hit, got a, a broken wrist and a broken hand and gasped for his trouble. Though he was totally nonviolent, I mean, this is this is an outrageous situation. Yeah, I agree. I think we need to be careful using the term soldiers here, though, because these are not uniformed military personnel. I think we need to draw that distinction. Well, they're, but, they're camouflage people, and I yeah, agree yeah. they're not parts. Of, they're not a legitimate part of the armed forces of the United States. They're mostly <laughs> yes. border border patrol and uh, and prison beatdown guys, as far as I can tell. Uh, they would I would call them simply government thugs. Sure. Um, caller, <laughs> back to you. <laughs> Did you have anything else to say? I guess not. Uh, well, thank you, David, for the call. We've also got Pat on the line. Good morning, Pat. Hey, good morning. Hey, I was wondering, uh, can our mayor uh, direct our police to protect our people from these thugs? Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't know what the legal thing is. Uh, I don't know where this is going to go. Our mayor, I have to say, in praise, has been real stand-up in this situation. And I've seen the county commissioners be real stand-up, including one of them was one wait, of the Wait, you're, you're saying the mayor is being stand-up in this situation? I think he's doing a good I job. Think the, I think the mayor has completely abdicated his responsibilities during this whole engagement. But we should get into this after our callers then saying what he has to Yeah, you and I will have to have a little yeah. argument about this, I think. Sorry, go ahead, caller. Yeah, well, you know, we're, we are the real people, and we are the ones that are being attacked, and, and we really need that type of protection. If, it, if the police truly are to protect, then I think we need to protect our people. We have our mothers that are out there standing the line. Um, I saw Marie down there. She's a uh, major member of the o Oregon Public Education Network, and she's, she was in the Oregonian. Just her, her uh, uh, talk was just compelling on why we should be protecting and, and uh, fighting against this. And I agree with you guys totally. We all need to get down there and uh, and uh, help our people out in some way, shape, or form, either physically, mentally, or spiritually, whatever. we got to do well, what we have to do. Thank you very much. I'm going to sign off. Okay, thank hey, you for the call. Good. Listen, I, I want to say this because it's important. Uh, some of us, for a variety of health issues and so on, can't go down there, but if you at all can, I think the appropriate behavior for citizens of Portland area is to go down, behave nonviolently, not to be a, a, a rowdy person, but to witness for peace, literally, to be down there in large, large numbers. I would like to see 100,000 people down there. This is something which calls for citizen engagement. Uh, 
Trump has engaged us. He's, he says, hey, I'm going to beat you down. I'm going to make you go away and so forth and so forth. No, no, this is America. And in America, we are allowed to demonstrate. We are allowed to be uh, participants in the process. We are allowed to protest. And this fascist should not dominate our lives. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and thank you very much, uh, caller, for your comment. <laughs> our mayor. Our mayor. Yeah, think, let's have a mayor fight. <laughs> I, I think I think he has he has failed utterly since these uh, protests broke out. He failed to restrain the Portland police uh, when they were inflicting violence upon citizens. And as one of the young speakers said last night uh, down at the courthouse, so very eloquently, he, she said, "Look, uh, <laughs> everything that the feds have been doing." The Portland police did first. And that's the only true. thing that has restrained them is the court order, multiple court orders that were handed out to stop them doing things like targeting journalists and legal observers. That's all. And using true. and using tactics uh, banned under the Geneva Convention and other agreements. He is he's completely failed. And even after those injunctions came out and the federal troops came in, something he really did very little to stop. He, he doesn't have the authority to deny them, but he certainly could have raised it. Think about it. Uh, he did nothing. And he has had every opportunity over the past several weeks as the violence has been confined be, be, to the feds, because they're the only ones who can use these tactics now, he could have asked his officers to deploy themselves to protect the citizens of his city, to put themselves between these violent federal goons and the people of Portland. And he did not. And to see him now, to see him now, hiding behind his cloak of bravery that he's trying to throw over himself, denouncing the feds. Well, it's too little, too late, Ted. You had your choice, you had your chance, and you blew it. You know what? I think you're right. I'm yeah, I am right. right. Ted support. I think you're right. I, I, uh, I think he's, he's talking better than he's acting. And I also think that there are a lot of people... Uh, uh, Joanne, others who are in the government who are much more active, who are much more uh, uh, able to help us all, and who ought to be more praised. This is a real test, a very real test of democracy that we are undergoing here, and we didn't look for it. No one in Portland wanted this uh, weird situation to develop, and this is part of the uh, Trump game of uh, fascism. This is divide and conquer and hurt and scare and make people afraid to be ordinary citizens. And this is not tolerable. I think there needs to, there need to be huge numbers of people, ordinary citizens, in, in pacifist mode, uh, in uh, decrying what's going on, and uh, actually being uh, very clear as citizens to cry out for justice in the, in the case of black and brown people, and in the case of minorities and of poor people, and to, and to say, look, there are legitimate problems, they need to be addressed, and this is not the way that this ought to be going down. Oh, I don't uh, disagree with you there. Uh, let's go back to the phone. Steve, good morning. Are you there? Okay, well, let's get back to Steve uh, when we can. How about Gordon? Hi, good morning. Good morning, Gordon. How are you doing? Good. So um, this reminds me of we've got Duarte from the Philippines in our president right now testing out Kim Jong-un and Duarte's tactics. And uh, this is CIA stuff, man. This is They come in and swoop the people out and make you disappear. And uh, it's a scary time right now. And I think my own self is that he's testing out the courts for ultimately for martial law. When the elections don't go the way he wants, that he holds it down and he takes it to the courts, and and then he's going to impose his uh, Nazi Duarte tactics on us. I think you're yeah, probably right. You're right think about that. I think this is a test case. Uh, of a process that he wants to carry out in every city in the United States. I actually think the president's intention 
uh, and this is very frightening, but I'm beginning to think it's true, is to never give up the presidency, to use the excuse of disorder in the society, which there really isn't that much of, and to validate his becoming dictator. This is real, and this is very frightening, and this has never, ever been a problem in the United States prior to Trump. Nope. Well, yeah, I'm right. to and, point uh, out we get to a point ahead, now ahead. where we have the Electoral College that's going to oversee and overpower everybody, and that's when everybody's going to stand up and fight up against the Electoral College because we, as the Democrats and the liberals, can't seem to figure out how to get the tide, how to get the Electoral College tied up in the South, and that's where Trump and the Republicans have all the Electoral College tied up in the South, and we lose every single time in the South, and we, as a as a as a group, that the Democrats seem to just fail miserably in the South, well, you know, yeah, and that's what's winning. There's something important to understand here, historically. The, one of the ways that Hitler rose to power, yes, Hitler rose to power, was to divide the community, to separate out the Social Democrats, who would, who would correspond roughly to the left of the Democratic Party here, from the Communists, who were much more radical and very powerful in Germany at that time, to divide them up and fight among themselves at the same time that the Nazis would fight both of them. That division, that, that structure that disabled the conservatives, that disabled the liberals in Germany is now part of the strategy, whether Trump is intelligent enough to know that or not, but is part of the strategy of the current government. And it's very scary. It's a real test of democracy. And we, all of us, need to get up offer you know what and be involved because this is a real test of democracy hey yeah, Colin, thank you very test, much all right uh, yeah thank you for your comments appreciate it yeah this is absolutely a test case trump has said as much uh ken cuccinelli the uh, interim deputy secretary of ice or over i forget his actual title you realize all much. these guys all these guys who trump has in these positions are supposed to be approved by Congress, and none of them have been. And none of them have been. And some of them have even uh, have stayed in their positions longer uh, than the limit for an interim non-approved member. Uh, but they, they have confirmed what we were just talking about, that this is a test case, that these tactics that we're seeing, like the unidentified goons snatching people off the street, Gestapo stuff like that, they're going to roll this out in cities across the country. Chicago has been mentioned. I, <laughs> I, you have to wonder, when Election Day rolls around, how many people won't be able to vote because they're somehow missing and detained? I, this is scary, scary stuff, and we are only seeing the beginning. I agree, and, and part of what's going on uh, is Trump's trying, has a long time been trying to destroy the post office, the federal post office, which is a constitutionally required thing. He's trying to destroy that. He's claiming that the post office is so insecure that we can't have a vote-by-mail system. A vote-by-mail system would ensure that Trump would be gone, and he knows that, and that's what that's about. We, all of us, need to demand democracy in America, ironically. Yes, indeed we do, ironically. Uh, let's go to Marcos. Marcos, good morning. Hi, good morning. I, I wanted to thank Abe for giving a shout-out to the independent journalists that have been covering the protests uh, since the beginning. Uh, the necessity of that can't be uh, under, uh, over, overstated. Uh, we've had statements from the Portland Police Bureau, such as that uh, the protest had cost over $20 million in lost business to the, to the downtown merchants. Uh, that was disproven by independent journalists who were able to say, no, actually, about $20 million of business losses was due to COVID, and it is, was disingenuous to blame protests on those losses. In the very same spirit, the same Portland Police Bureau claimed, uh, and this was said on your show last week, uh, a, a caller essentially uh, 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 repeated the allegations from the Portland Police Bureau that protesters had barricaded the North Precinct, had barricaded the police union, and then attempted to set both of those buildings on fire with people presumably trapped inside, which would be 
attempted homicide on the part of protesters. Um, unfortunately, your response to this caller last week was to say, well, that would present a dilemma for the police if they're in a police, if they're in a building that, that is now under siege. Um, that didn't happen. And if you've been following the independent journalists that covered both of those incidents, uh, those, those incidents were complete fabrications that were debunked in real time by reporters that were actually on the scene. There's about a dozen. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It was, it was an error, a uh, little bit of our, our being conservative or careful in a way that was eh, pretty inappropriate. Well, this feeds right into the narrative that the president is, is, is delivering, that the city is now falling into the clutches of quote-unquote anarchists, um, and, and that that is now the pretext for sending in the federal goons. And the last thing I'd like to just say is, is to, to agree again with Abe, that Ted Wheeler has been just as brutal as the feds, and he's filled the city with tear gas night after night after night on the flimsiest of, of pretexts. This is tear gas that in some situations has gone into people's homes, tear gas that, that's, that's affected TriMet buses, tear gas that's affected people in traffic, this is reckless. It's irresponsible. It's all on Ted Wheeler's desk. And, and for Ted Wheeler to simply be pointing the finger at the feds is completely disingenuous. Thank you. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think I'm getting beat up a lot on Wheeler. I, I just like his, his statement that I saw on TV. So I'm going to have to back off on that. I have not followed carefully enough uh, Ted Wheeler's behavior in this matter. So I'm 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 going to stay away from that. It's rank opportunism, and his statements that he's made in the past few days, I'm sure, play well to the national liberal audience. Uh, but he's absolutely been derelict here in Portland. I, Ted is uh, not receiving my support going forward. Um, let's go back to the phones, Jack. Good morning. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. Hello. Hello. Hey. Well, yeah, for hello. once, both of you guys are absolutely right. Um, Joe is right that the way to change this is to get back to mass demonstrations. As soon as it gets down to the little hardcore of a hundred little anarchist kitties that want to f stuff up, then they have a battle that they can fight. The way to stop it is to put twenty thousand people in the streets, and then it's over. Then they're going to go hide in their little hole and not come out, right? I, right. I, I think that's over. what we have now. Yeah. Uh, that's that's yeah, well, but how many people what are I out You know. Well, I think it should be more. I think we need mass demonstrations. I think it's not. It shouldn't be just uh, young, adventurous people. No, uh, it should no. be every age, every person. Yep. I think it should be a mass movement of a huge size. Yep. Such that the uh, such that the uh, stupidity of the fascists becomes evident, and that they have to back off. That's what stops the fight. Okay, as long as you have fairly equal forces down there, who hate each other. Look, I was in the streets. I'm all square and old now, but I spent 15 years in the streets of Portland, right? From, you know, and every place up and down the West Coast, from about from from the King riots to Occupy, and I was in Seattle, <laughs> standing on my corner. I was at the Burnside Free State. I've been watching this stuff for a long time. What shuts their stuff down is when there's so many people they get scared and quit. You know, if it's a fight between that the black block and the police, well, the cops are going to win. That gang has way better, way better weapons and way cooler stuff. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, you're absolutely right truth. for once. You're absolutely right. Well, I, I right. think you're right. And I think, again, I, I, I have to call uh, for mass demonstrations. I think it's yeah. time for mom and dad and the kids to go down yeah. there. I think it's time for families to be down there. I think it's time for everybody to be down there. And I think that this is a necessary thing to support the uh, Black Lives Movement. I think it's a necessary thing to support democracy in general and to bring the United States into a situation where it is righteous in its struggle for equality for everybody. The reason you saw the early um, 
demonstrations around George Floyd succeed is because that's what happened. It was everybody. I ain't never seen anything like that in my life, you know? 50-year-old yeah. white people coming out to a BLM and standing up to the police. That's the best thing I've seen in a long time. I'm so that's proud exactly, of us for one. Exactly what I saw last night. That, that crowd was incredibly broad and diverse in they terms of race and yeah. in age uh, and in, in income by all appearances. Uh, I, this was a huge cross-section of the community turning out. They, that, that, Trumpy, Trumpy screwed up. It would have like Ted is right in this one little thing that it would have centered down if they had just not antagonized it. But at this point, I've been staying away. One because I'm COVID bait. I'm 66 years old. I have asthma and CPOD, COPD, and two because I'm not sure I can hold my temper in check, and I'm about ready to shoot somebody. Mm. You know, it's like I told my kid <laughs> last night. You know, it's like I get an IM. Hey, you ain't down there, are you? Nope. I feel bad because I'm not. Well, I understand that. I'm, I'm you know? facing similar yeah. dilemmas, uh, different, yeah. different but similar. You know? But I also and think I haven't shot any federal cops. So, I think it's one of the most important things that, is, in, in terms of the strategy, that must be observed is nonviolence. I think people yeah. have to be willing to take it. They have to be willing to put their bodies on the line, and there has to be lots of people. Lots did and you lots see, of people. Because this you see is our a test of democracy. Did you see our contemporary, Mr. David? I couldn't believe the videos of that guy. That is one tough old grandpa. They were wailing, yeah, he's, right? He's and he guy. stood there and took it. <laughs> Turned his back, walked away, and flipped them off after two full faces of pepper spray. I could not. Yeah, I'd he, be on the ground. He took right? Best shot. He took the best shot. Broke, they broke his hand and wrist. I mean, really yeah. tough guy. Hey, listen. <laughs> thank you very much for the call. We appreciate it uh, very much. Um, Susan writes to say, "I disagree that even minor damage to property and accompanying vandalism is acceptable for two reasons. One, destruction and vandalism are not necessary and cause someone somewhere some distress. There is enough distress already. It gives the other side more ammunition with which to cast aspersions on the demonstrators." This is a case, in my view, where the behavior of the demonstrators must be unquestionably better than that of the federal officers who are present. Thanks for the discussion. Uh, well, a couple comments on that. I'd say the behavior of the demonstrators is unquestionably better than that of the of the um, the feds. And you know, I just <laughs> yeah, in a, in a vacuum, in, in without context, uh, standing on its own, property damage and vandalism are wrong. They are rightfully crimes. Uh, but again. The, the minor destruction of a small amount of property, in my mind, is is a negligible uh, externality in this situation. Uh, however uncomfortable, however much distress people might feel at the destruction of property, that is nothing compared to the distress that black and brown people have felt at the hands of the state since before this country founding. So, you know, if you balance the scales of justice across the centuries, you know, I'm all right with a little vandalism. Well, I agree with you. I, I think that the vandalism is, is sort of pointless. On the other hand, anger and outrage at the situation, in fact, that situation of capitalism itself, is understandable. And, and you, can't, you cannot make an omelet without breaking eggs. Yeah, that was a, that was a really vapid uh, uh, analogy, but we'll take it. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. But, yeah, what you say is true. It's, you can't expect mass, social change on a massive scale without some sort of disruption. It has, it has never before happened at any time in history. Those with power do not yield it without being forced to yield it. And if we can find a way to force power to yield and the only price we pay is some destruction of property, I think we're doing very, very well. I don't think that's how this will end up. I think there are people... There have already been people who have been seriously injured, and there are going to be people who die before this is all over. That's just the way it is. Please don't don't interpret this as me condoning violence or condoning people dying for the cause. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is you can't expect uh, a movement like this to go down uh, as if we're all being transported on a feather bed. You know, it's not going to happen. But you don't like the analogy of the omelet? 
Uh, well, no, I was just giving you a hard time. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and to to another of Susan's points, I'm I'm also past worrying about whether the behavior of protesters is going to give ammunition to people on the right. People on the right are going to pull ammunition out of thin air. Remember how every Democratic nominee forever and ever has been derided as a as a commie pico socialist. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. They are going to demonize us in the same way, regardless. So we might as well be out there standing up for what we know to be right, standing up for a better society for all of us, and finally breaking the back of institutionalized racism. That is what this is all about. Well, and this is why I'm calling for larger demonstrations of all yes. sorts of people. I want people, families, I want people who are definitely not looking to fight, but are definitely trying to represent America. And I think they need to show up now. This is, this is a patriotic duty, because the United States system, for all of its faults, is now endangered by a fascist, a slash Nazi idiot, who can't even tell the difference, by the way, between a test for senility and an intellectual test. Just, oh, I'll throw that one out there. <laughs> um, let's go back to the phones. Before we do, our engineer Sonia writes to say, this is why the police get so rough, so that the masses, families, will stay away. And I think there's truth I in that I think that's well. true. I think that's yeah. true. The effort is being made to be violent by the authorities to frighten ordinary people from participating. Yes. Uh, so let's go to Francis. Francis, good morning. Hi. Yeah, you saw what Hi. they did to the moms uh, the other night. Yes. Uh, so that, yes. that was to frighten people from joining in. Uh, Joanne Hardesty has told uh, Mayor Wheeler that She'll take over the police department if he has a problem handling them. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't imagine he's going to give up that. No, I don't think he will. But I think what she's saying yeah. is right. I think. I think she is yeah. a, a great political leader. Yes, yeah, she is, and she's been uh, in the trenches with us for a long, long time, and she knows of what she speaks. I would, um, my concern is that so much power has been given to this man in the White House, and I don't know, do they have, are, are that many people in Congress so compromised that they're afraid to uh, put him in check? I don't understand it. Uh, there's no way that he should be allowed to be doing what he's doing. Well, you, you, you understand that there's... Francis, there's an enormous degree of uh, chicken, and I can't say the other word on the air, uh, going on within, particularly within the Republican Party. But I understand that there's being a shift now, just a practical shift. They're moving away from supporting Trump to supporting, trying to hold on to the uh, Senate. And, and the whole situation is very, very tenuous. I suspect that before the election actually happens, Trump is going to have to reveal the fascist card in all of its extremes in order to try to maintain power without any legal fiction. And I, that's the point that I, I, it seems to me like, for example, Lindsey Graham is just so compliant with him right now. And I can recall Lindsey Graham, the things that he said about him before he was elected, you know, he what what is it's almost like they've got his number some kind of way and he's afraid of them of the president and who whoever has his number and Mitch McConnell the same thing they're unless their motivation is is racist and um, I don't know corporate surrogates kind of then I don't understand why they're not putting this man in check I don't well, understand I, I think I think your points are good I, I wish everybody would put a little bit of John Lewis's courage into their, exactly. into their hearts I wish that ordinary people 
that regardless of class, regardless of race, regardless of sexual orientation or whatever, that a lot of people, ordinary people, would put a few hours, just a few hours of their life into saving democracy using Portland, Oregon as a kind of laboratory for that. I wish there were huge crowds down there, and I wish these huge crowds were, of course, nonviolent. Now, that's not impossible. That discipline is a part of our traditions, but people need to understand yeah. the value of nonviolence in this situation. Because let's they face really it, let's do. Face it. As, we're uh, not going to be able to beat down the police. We're not going to be able to beat down the thugs of the federal government. No, and and we shouldn't even try because and that's the that's the principle of nonviolence is you 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 maintain nonviolence and the thugs are the thugs are the thugs and they and they reveal themselves every time. But uh, I wish we could have the same fortitude and and belief in the human spirit that C- Congressman Lewis had. Until the day he died, he was working on legislation for the people. Absolutely. So, Listen, I think there is still the great possibility of a of a real, legitimate, democratic, that's little d, democratic uprising, where people say, enough, enough. Yeah. We are not going to tolerate and, this. We're not going to let our cities be taken over by uh, federalized thugs. We are not going to allow... Of this kind of quasi-Nazi behavior to dominate our politics anymore, and this is particularly and it true. is distracting from the cause of the protest in the first place. Well, it look, very we much a, is distracting from that Trump, cause. Trump blew it on the on the virus from the very get-go. He is really ignorant. He is really a pig, and he is really selfish, and he really needs to be gone. And we have a legitimate way of getting rid of him with an election. And we right. need also to have citizens reclaiming their cities, saying no. And no, the voting rights the voting rights bill that John Lewis authored is sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk and it's been there for over a hundred days. That's right. So you know, it's it's a there's a problem in Congress right now and otherwise this stuff wouldn't be happening, and I, I know that voting will fix that as long as we're able to vote and we're allowed to vote and we can vote, and hopefully we will still be able to in November. Well, we've got to be able to have voting by mail as a normative thing in our society. We also have to do away with the way in which the uh, Electoral College operates. It was basically put together by people who were very concerned about democracy itself. Right. And (laughs) um, hopefully we can fix this. I I really um, hope, well, I know, even though Joe Biden has his issues, that it will be at least the pretense of a democracy will be, be restored. And then we have a lot of work to do. Right. Well, look, at the very worst, it'll be a return to normal. Because <laughs> this is fascist. This is not normal. No, it isn't normal. And let Francis, thank you, as always, for a wonderful phone call. Uh, I want to address one of the questions that Francis brought up. Uh, she asked, why do um, elected Republicans not uh, renounce Trump? Uh, I think the answer comes down to, it's a very simple answer, it's fear. Uh, they saw uh, the voters that nominated him in 2016, uh, the voters that formed his insoluble base, uh, and they realized that they themselves cannot achieve electoral victory without the support of those same voters. And they have test cases to prove it. Uh, there's a congressman named Justin Amash from Michigan, uh, a Republican who stood up and denounced Trump and called for his impeachment. and. Uh, in, as a reward, he was drummed out of the party, stripped of his committee assignments, uh, and he is now no longer affiliated with the Republican Party. And I think every other Republican who may have had a stirring of conscience looked at that and realized that that was a non-starter. So any of them might feel that they're in an impossible situation, that they're in a bind that they simply can't escape, and I have absolutely no sympathy for that. I hope they roast on their own fists. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, Let's go to Karen. Karen, good morning. 
Good morning. This is a great program, and I also appreciated uh, the callers. Uh, you guys are great. I, I wanted to just make a couple of points. One point is that the Maller protesters, far-right protesters, uh, havoc and caused millions of dollars of damage, and it took a very long time before any action was taken against them. Yep. They were white, yep. of course. And the, the other, the other, the other point is just a reference to history. I was on a legal defense committee for the Black Liberation Army members who were captured in New Haven many, many moons ago. I'm 74, so um, uh, we were just lay people helping out the lawyer and connecting with the uh, three prisoners who had robbed a bank and who had shot a guard. I am not advocating that tactic. Um, but what I am saying is that looking back on history and seeing what happened to the armed wing of the um, Black Nationalist movement, of course they were they were squashed by the enormous uh, power of the state. And uh, that what well, what we're loving about John Lewis is his enormous courage and also his. Um, understanding that you lose the moral high ground. I have great sympathy for the protesters, and I have great sympathy even for those who pick up arms, because I get at the slow and evil, slow violence and the acute violence that is constantly being done to black people. And I get why people stand up, and I get why they try anything they can think of, and they just don't have the background in spirituality that the great leaders in the civil rights movement had. I mean, so many of those people had reverend before their names. So we, you know, we're looking at a complex situation, and I have great sympathy for the protesters in, in downtown Portland who've done the things they've done. Property damage is a very small price to pay for, for, the, uh, for the rights of the people and for democracy. But... Uh, any any excuse becomes an excuse to deploy even more force against us, and I'm just hoping people can learn to refrain from that. It it won't mean they won't get attacked. And Francis is right; they will get attacked, and they they will be hurt. And um, and yet, in the long run, that seems to be the most effective means that we have, and it's morally and ethically the right thing to do. And God bless anyone who isn't up to it yet. Or, and I have no right to dictate any terms to those folks. I think any white person really cannot cannot speak to this. And yet I just did. But I, that's my point of view. It's a small person's point of view. Um, but I look at the great leaders, the great black leaders, and I say, okay, um, that's what they did, and that's what I need to do. So thank you so much for the show. Love it, and you have a great day. Well, thank you very much. You know, Absolutely. I want to I want to get emphasized. What really has I'm hoping will happen doesn't have to happen, but I'm hoping will happen is that ordinary people all over the city, all over the county, all over the nation, in fact, get off their duff and go down and passively, peacefully demonstrate for democracy. This is a real test of our nation. This is a test of whether or not democracy can be built, not survive, can be built in America. And this is the time that calls to ordinary people to arm themselves not with weapons, but with righteousness. And I'm, I'm serious here. And this is something that needs to happen now. And I'm hoping it will happen. I'm hoping uh, that people will realize the challenge that we face and rise to it. Otherwise, we're going to be in a terrible situation. Um, all right, thank you very much, caller, for the call. And thank you for fighting the good fight all these many years. Uh, let's go to Karen. Uh, that was Karen. Next up is Joan. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Let's go to Joan. <laughs> Hi. Good morning, Joan. Listening. Hi, I'm on, a, I'm on a small cell phone, so I didn't completely hear what she said. But I, I found something in a book called On Tyranny by T Timothy Snyder, which I think is relevant. It says, modern tyranny is terror management. The sudden disaster that required the end of checks and balances, etc., is the oldest trick in the Hitlerian book, Do Not Fall For It. 
On February 27, 1933, the building housing the German parliament, the Reichstag, the Reichstag began to burn. Who set that fire that night in Berlin? We don't know, and it doesn't matter. What matters is that this this initiated the politics of emergency. Gazing with pleasure at the flames that night, Hitler said, this fire is just the beginning. Whether or not the Nazis set the fire, Hitler saw the political opportunity. He said, there will be no mercy now. Anyone standing in our way will be cut down. The next day, a decree suspended the basic rights of all German citizens, allowing them to be preventatively detained by the police, by the police. Etc. And then they won a decisive victory in the parliamentary elections on March the 5th, and they began to round up members of left-wing political parties and kept place them in improvised concentration camps, etc., etc. And then uh, the new parliament passed an enabling act which allowed Hitler to rule by decree, which was in a state of emergency for the next 12 years, etc., etc. And it says... Um, for tyrants, the lesson of this fire is that one moment of shock enables an eternity of submission. For us, the lesson is that our natural fear and grief must not enable the destruction of our democratic institutions. Uh, Courage does I, not I, mean... I, 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 what I'm saying is that the... I'm not saying that it's bad to to protest, and, and I'm not criticizing the protest at all. And if I could be down there, I, I probably would be. It says here it does mean that recognizing and resisting terror management right away from the moment of the attack, precisely when it seems the most difficult to do so, is um, is an act of courage. So well, I think I agree with you, and I agree strategy with and at the end does not justify the means. We have to be really careful about that as we enable our our righteous protest. Well, I, I believe that nonviolent protest is the most effective tool because really, realistically, we, we're not calling for a civil war, we're calling for civil peace. And what I really think is very important in, in what you were talking about in the German story is it's not just the rounding up of the left, it ended up being the roundup and the murder of the, of the Jewish people. It became a way to delegitimize a whole religious community. And we have to understand that what's going on now is a delegitimization of any of the liberal, the range of liberal to left thought. And it's deliberate, and it's thoughtful, and it's really, really, really uh, a scary thing. No, that's an over-abstraction. That's not what it's about. This right. is about maintaining white supremacy. It's easy to abstract it, but um, the point is we really have to act together, and there's nothing wrong with a little strategic sabotage. Agreed. Hey, thank you very much for the call and for reading that passage. That was wonderful. Um, I think we had uh, our Reichstag fire already in this country. It was on September 11, 2001. Um, the internal uh, organization in, um, in our government that has brought these federal troops here uh, is the architecture given to us by the Patriot Act, passed in the wake of the several attacks. attack. Well, I think you're that right. We have been governing under this state of emergency that the caller described since then, and we are reaping the bitter harvest of that now. Uh, Peter writes in to say, hello, listening to your show this morning, Abe, you mentioned how this stuff about police brutality as we're seeing downtown has been happening to non-white folks in America since white folks got here. I agree. But it also stands in stark contrast to Joe's statement at the beginning of the show that what's going on is un-American. It can't be both, and to call it un-American is ahistorical. That is absolutely right. The well, use of state violence, the use of state that. violence against black and brown people is as American as apple pie. Uh, Cassandra, let's go to Cassandra before the end here. Hi, thank you. Um, I think you're both right, and I think your writer write-in is right in the sense that white America is used to not having violence perpetrated against them, and the norm has been that, whereas black and brown bodies have always had violence perpetrated against them. So that is their norm. And what is going to wake this country up to the fact that we are now engulfed in fascism is when our comfort zone, and by us I mean white people, is taken away. And our our comfort zone is being taken away. And what they need to understand is that if they do not stand up en masse and protest and let their voices be heard, 
when these black and brown bodies are run over, it will be white bodies that are next because that type of hatred knows no bounds. It will keep feeding. Um, I wanted to let you gentlemen know something. I'm in Washington, and I just filled out my ballot, mailed it for our primary, August 4th, and in there, for the governor, there were three who uh, associate themselves, uh, you know, what's your party of preference, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Green Party, whatever. And three have very different backgrounds, and each one says that they are representing what they call the Trump Republican Party. This is very disturbing. I have never heard of a party named after a specific person. If anything wants to point the finger to fascism, and they are all from very different backgrounds, and yet they are organized within a single group, which is the Trump Republican Party. This should be alarming everyone. That is alarming. It has become yes, a cult of is. personality. Even a death cult, one might characterize it as. Yeah. Yeah, so, it, anyway. and what makes it even weirder is it's directed by, a, unlike Hitler, this is a really stupid man. <laughs> well, he's smart enough to have surrounded himself with very greedy, opportunistic, and hate-filled people who are willing to do anything to get what they want. So I his agree. intelligence is really not the issue. And by constantly deriding that, that intelligence, it's really not a factor anymore. We all know he's a, a mentally unstable pumpkin, but that's not the point. He is well also said. a mentally well unstable pumpkin in charge. And he has the backing of billionaires, corporations, and every politician who is not standing up to him is enabling him. In a, a, a more familial uh, setting, we would call this dysfunctional. Well, his dysfunctional political cronies, all of them, Democrats, Republicans, everyone, who is not standing up to him verbally. You're listening to KBOO Portland. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to leave it there. We are out of time. Thank you, everybody. We'll be back at you next week. film series presentation of the long and twisted tale of Jordan Cove LNG. This slideshow depicts